0: This week on the Indo Daily. I asked her to leave me alone. I felt like she was harassing me and she was insistent that, you know, these were just coincidences. Catherine Martin, she is in favour of scrapping the TV licence and giving money to RT direct from the exchequer. Tánis de Martin, dead set against it. No way, not happening.
1: Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast.
2: Nobody knows the Bulls as well as the one that's in the Bull Ring fighting the Bulls. So the players know it better than any expert on the outside. And the reason that Andy Farrell is such a great coach and such a great, let's say, mentor, and same with Paul O'Connell is they've been
0: in that Bull Ring many, many times. Ireland would want this one, I think, too much to let England bounce back and beat them here. So that's what I'm hoping happens. I think it'll be tighter than what everyone else is expecting, but expect expect an arm wrestle.
1: Ireland are just one win away from Grand Slam glory after an eventful Sunday in Murrayfield. A win over England in the Aviva Stadium on St. Patrick's weekend will seal a Six Nations title. And on the latest episode of the Left Wing, we will be looking ahead to the big game, as well as analysing how Ireland got the job done against Scotland, Will Slattery here with you and on part two of the show we'll be taking a look at Ireland's mental preparation ahead of their showdown with England where we will be joined by former Ireland performance coach and sports psychologist Anna McNulty but first Luke Fitzgerald is here with me and Luke we we knew Scotland would be a tricky game I don't think we quite envisaged how much upheaval there'd be with all the injuries and the kind of scramble defence in the first half but Andy Farrell said it was the best win he'd ever been involved in and that's high praise coming from a man with his kind of glittering CV
0: yeah it is isn't it um, you know and I think uh, in many ways it probably was I'd still say for me that third test I think is probably the one that sticks out against New Zealand but uh, that was still a brilliant brilliant performance I was really really pleased from some loads of players that stood up and, and, and were counted um, you know players, just some players who I maybe had a few doubts about you know um Uh, They were just unbelievable. The togetherness. Mac Anton is that you think? uh, I I thought he was unbelievable. Unbelievable, I thought he was brilliant. Like he had so many big moments in the game. He was so calm. Um, You know, he completely. uh, Do you know what I I did love that? the the van der merwe thing because look I do like parts of obviously his game he's obviously a big physical unit but I just love that there's a guy who's not that who is quick who's skillful uh, you know kind of picked him apart in the in, in the kind of big parts of the game and uh, it just shows you it's what I love about rugby because rugby you know for a long time has possibly been going down that route uh, to see someone maybe the other side like the Shane Williamsy type uh, kind of vibe um, you know overcome a big athlete like that and, and make him look silly at times uh, that was really great to see and I, I loved that part of it just on a personal side of, uh, side of things um, but from a team perspective I thought they were brilliant to a man um, you know some huge performances and some quietly brilliant performances I think um, I saw Peter I saw Peter Mahoney get a call out from Gordon Darcy during the week I couldn't couldn't agree more with Doris. I just thought Peter Mani had a monster of a game. Uh, the kick and those things are kick through are obvious things to state. But God, I thought he had so many like little moments, big tackles. Well, some of those lineout
1: wins as well. Like he was
0: how yeah. good was he at two? We yeah. talked about Josh's throwing, and that was a brilliant. That, like that was amazing what Josh did. But how good it must be to throw to Peter O'Mahony who is clearly that spring at his age is still there because he was getting up at two ahead of uh, Scotland who knew once Ar- like they had to have known that Ireland could only have gone to two or four really for the rest of the game Um knowing that before every throw and knowing Josh must have been yeah. knowing uh, look I'm sure in his mind he was saying look all I can do is my best here and look I'm just going to hit that spot and that's it but to have Peter Marnie there to pick up all those, like he just he, he was unbelievable. I thought, uh, alongside Jack Conan, who a lot of people had their doubts about, he had that was
1: a major performance from him. Considering, as you mentioned, the, the doubts, people saying he shouldn't possibly be on the bench anymore, and the emergence
0: of Ryan Baer, yeah. the pressure with that, and will. Gavin
1: Coombs. You know, people Gavin are Coombs playing, for him playing him to brilliantly well. Yeah, from I, I thought he
0: was absolutely brilliant. He was brilliant, and yeah. look, the, the try, you know, the try is the try, and he finished it well. But I thought that was all about Mac Hansen and and how poor Vandermeer is in terms of understanding. You know. What's in front of him defensively? Um, it just shows you how important wingers are defensively. To you know, he just was awful in the weekend. Uh, really let the team down. And I think um, from Jack Conant's perspective, and back to what's more important and positive, um, he was he was brilliant everything he did I was just so impressed with him he didn't overplay he ran unbelievably hard into every contact he got metres when there was no metres there I thought defensively he was brilliant I thought the rook he was so disciplined at times I thought he had loads of like these little small interjections around there just slowed it up for half a second when Ireland really needed and um, he was brilliant I thought James Ryan had a monster of a game I was so I was so disappointed for him that he didn't get that he didn't pass that one it was look it was poor enough by him too
1: well, I, I had a bet on Ireland at the bonus point so I was absolutely devastated so was <laughs> well, like no, this, it's, do you
0: know what yeah. do you know what's in, the, the, the sad thing about it is that you know it obviously leaves France open for, to, to nick it if England have a monster performance it'd take a massive turnaround but stranger things have happened in rugby than England yeah. winning this weekend James Ryan though oh, he
1: was potential a potential player in the tournament but play, I, I think every, every week we've done a team of the weekend here at the end though and he's been in the se- he's been in the second row every week
0: every team of the week that I see on across nearly all the, all of the uh, the different podcasts the different news outlets um the different drinks companies who are doing te- you know players doing teams and all this kind of stuff the betting companies James Ryan is a mainstay in every single one of them and I just think he is what I've loved about it is that he looks now that he's uh, you probably heard me talking about it a little bit Well, I thought he was trying to do maybe a little bit too much at every point whereas I felt like James Ryan is a guy the fitness levels and the strength I think he's put on a lot of strength in the last while I think the the timeout actually might have served him quite well he looks so strong in the conduct. he looks like an experienced second row international player now to me And what I felt about him is that I think uh, whether Paulie has had a big influence on him or Leo or whoever it is he looks very calm there, he's not trying to overdo it. he's not trying to drive someone back 10 metres he is making loads of those, just half a metre or one metre, but anytime that anyone goes near him they're going back, or the ball is slowed up, um, or any rookie hit seems to be marmalising people Like he is just, his engine he is just, uh, he's playing some of the best rugby I've ever seen him play, even though he's maybe not, that was obviously a big run he made in the weekend, brilliant support line, but Most of what he's been brilliant at so far in this competition has been obviously calling the line out and doing brilliantly well there, but also he seems to be, all those small wins, he is accumulating them throughout the game for the team and nearly every single interaction he has in the game, whatever facet of it, whether it's a carry, whether it's a tackle, whether it's a rook he has been the heartbeat of this team and uh, I think he's a big reason why they're playing so well in terms of how the game
1: unfolded on, on Sunday like what's your perspective on, on why Ireland ended up you know having the game put to bed with 20 minutes to go considering at halftime it was only 8-7 Scotland had a couple of big chances you, you know Van der Merwe could have shifted the ball that was probably would have tried There was a couple of scramble tackles you know around halftime that, that Ireland held out but then Scotland and considering the amount of like upheaval in the Irish pack as well in particular how Scotland ended up being out of the game with 20 minutes to go at home I just thought it was kind of baffling in, in some ways
0: they were completely deflated as well like there was still plenty of rugby left when Ireland put that, scored that last try but Ireland were the only team that were looking that, that looked like they were going to score after that um, and I think it's um, we'll actually great to have Enda coming on a little bit later on the show to discuss you know your mindset and what happened there with Scotland because I think they're they really need to have a look at themselves. I think they're like they were well in that game but they had these moments when the game was still in the balance. Like those crazy, those two crazy four passes. They were, they were, they were mental. But the
1: Fergison someone I, I people <coughs> give me out. That was really near where I was sitting. Jamie Ritchie was standing two yards in
0: front. But of it was, it, looked, it was almost like American football. Yeah. it was, it was almost like a lateral pass but in American football. What was football. going? Was like bizarre. Jamie Ritchie,
1: the captain, is standing two feet in front, two yards in front. But of
0: even, even t- if you're standing in front of you, you don't throw the pass. Yeah, you can't throw the pass. The pass, <laughs> the pass was the brain fart. It's obviously bad to be out of position. But he could have been. Remember that ball came, I think from was it Finn Russell that might have come? It was the pass. Whoever threw the pass anyway the your kick may have been on you don't know but uh, look it's bad positioning but you can't throw the pass if he's forward <laughs> like it, it was 2 metres for it was crazy stuff but there was loads of other instances in the game um, like that for Scotland and they just lost all the key ones and I think they can be really disappointed and they need to have a look at themselves with it because for 40-50 minutes I thought they played some great stuff and they were right in that game now they rode their look at times and I was whatever little hair I have left was almost torn out with Luke Pearson I don't want to be I'm, not, I'm actually not even going to bother covering it but there were some disgraceful decisions I thought throughout and I just didn't like how he refereed the game maybe he sees it differently than I do but I was so disappointed with him and I thought his interactions with the players were poor as well it didn't take long enough over some decisions and there was loads of bad ones, and there were some bad ones for both teams. Well, but what Ireland, decisions
1: are you talking about? Ah, uh, disgraceful decisions you've said it. Well, now.
0: the hog, yeah, fine. Well, the hog ones, like so. If he doesn't simbin him for the first one where he's grabbing the hand, he didn't even grab the hand. He actually grabbed the ball. Uh, he was offside in a clear try scoring opportunity for Ireland on Scotland's line in the first half. There was the uh, Mac the Mac Hansen try scoring with uh, Van der Merwe clearly no uh, no wrap he said the left arm was a wrapping but sure it was clearly the, the first contact happens with the right arm which is tucked uh, tucked down so that was clearly a, uh, a you know a, a penalty try um, I thought Ireland missed the kick that two points could have been crucial in a tighter game uh, I thought there was one in the second half where Hogg when, when Matt Hansen took the ball from the high ball take over Vandermeer again um, uh, Hogg again Tackle Healy when Healy went short side he was miles offside. Um, I thought actually, Caelan Doris was taken out in the air from that quick line-out throw. I actually think he made the right decision. Oh, yeah,
1: that was definitely taken out in the air. Well,
0: he was he was in the air and got the ball, but the Scotland guy never left the ground. It was actually dangerous, you know. So uh, now it was it, it was he didn't mean to do it, but it was still a dangerous scenario where the ball's in the air. If it's if it's there to be jumped for and you don't get off the ground and you're in the landing zone you're taking a chance Caelan fell badly off that one so uh, I thought that might have been you agreed with the decision with the lineup because obviously you've been in uh, the similar position I back did, in the I, did. Mike I sadly <laughs> did agree with that yeah. um, because I was yeah, as you mentioned that, that I played in that full back in that uh, game where Mike Phillips uh, ball boy threw Wales the ball and Mike Phillips runs in 50 metres because we've all turned the other way um, but I, I think he did have to bring that back I think if Scotland had ran if, if Scotland had caught Ireland off guard and had scored uh, you know, a length of the field try you know, we would have been going, there wouldn't have been screaming blue murder. So I think the same had to apply, even though clearly there was no advantage accruing to Ireland, really, other than that they read the play well. Um, so it was a weird one, but I think it was the right call. Um, but I just thought the way he ref the rook was all over the place all day. It was a complete mess, I thought. Um, I thought Ireland dealt with that better than Scotland, quite clearly. Um, but I thought he's a mess for both teams. And I didn't like, he's waiting, a, I think, a second or half a second or a second too long at rook when someone's in a poach position. I think it's really dangerous. Just don't like it, Will. So, um, yeah, I've had my rant. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want it, but I did. And like Another aspect of you
1: know, a missed opportunity for Scotland is that obviously all those injuries in the first half meant that not only did Ireland lose some key men, but it meant that their bench impact was being used after 15, 20 minutes. Like Conan, Baird, Ronan Kelleher, who himself obviously got injured too, but that's probably Ireland's three most impactful substitutes all brought on in the opening 15, 20 minutes. So Ireland couldn't kind of utilise that in the second half. And yet still, they were the ones who, who kicked on, as, as you mentioned,
0: like... I was texting I was texting a colleague that I played with um, 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 who really knows the game brilliant on it and he we, we were talking after the try I said I I can't I have to you know I just can't see it I think we've loads of guys who haven't played a massive amount of rugby are now going to have to play the whole like a lot of the game um, you know I think our, the, the impact from the bench is probably gone at this stage um, you know I think this will be a tight finish I think we still get it because I think Scotland just will shoot themselves in the foot somewhere um, they didn't actually do that Ireland just took them out I think but I thought it would be like a two point win for Ireland three point win at that stage he said 12 points and I couldn't believe it I asked him after and he never answered but he was saying I couldn't I didn't know where he got the 12 points from um, so I'm looking forward to actually following up on that and, and saying like why did he why did he say that so um, yeah I thought they did brilliantly well I thought they held on brilliantly and to, to be finishing in the ascendancy was even more impressive I thought they looked like they were hunting that, that, that bonus point try so um, some soul searching for Scotland to do I think they are a good team, we need to be wary of them at the World Cup, but clearly at, at this point in time we have an edge on them mentally.
1: What about Keen Healy you now a guy you played with for, for years and years, coming on, playing at Hooker. You know I play you know, I think he played in the schools final against you at Hooker back. That's probably the last time he played, it was almost twenty years ago now. And uh but you know a great moment for him he's been injured the last couple of weeks you know getting those key scrum penalties and you know mm. in an unfamiliar position it's a great kind of way towards the end of his career a great moment
0: uh, it is you know i think he's uh, he's just one of the good guys too in irish rugby um you know one of the kind of gentle giants if you like um you know obviously uh, i consider him a good friend um so maybe I'm, I'm i'm definitely biased actually on this one he's he's just the most interesting bloke i'd ever come across uh, <laughs> but um you know it's outside of the rugby but brilliant to, for him i think you know he probably is seeing um you know the thing is i, I wonder what props like he's 35 like I, I, he's been around so long that people are thinking god i wonder is it time to go but, but maybe it's not he looks to me to still be in great shape now he's probably not going to be getting in the team as much because the emergence of porter and the age difference there but um i still think he's got You he, he can see on the weekend he has a lot to add to this team and he could be a key guy in that world cup um you know stepping in and great to see that he's still in good form and can still do it on the big stage and like that was a stroke of genius off like if we talk about you know how Ireland deal with kind of adversity and things that they're not expecting to be thrown at them the preparation is still obviously brilliant in there because someone has declared him as a hooker and if if they didn't do that ireland would have lost their two specialist hookers they wouldn't have been able to put someone into that position they would have had uncontested scrums but ireland would have had to have played with 14 men kind of so like against
1: italy last exactly year, right, yeah italy, yeah Spain so was, once
0: they got yeah. the second yellow wasn't yeah. it um so yeah like it that was a stroke of genius so we the the, the team while the team are adapting to very difficult situations they are preparing. Brilliantly well. They've thought about a lot of different scenarios that could happen. And that was a brilliant moment for for the coaching staff, I think. But a brilliant moment for Keane Healy, as you say. So I was really, really pleased for him.
1: Yeah, so the England game on Saturday, obviously, Grand Slam at stake. Ireland are monster favourites, especially after what happened to England at Twickenham. You know, with all those injuries, if if those guys don't come back, would there be any concern on your part? Or when you look at the guys coming in, like it's hard to have too much of a concern with the quality.
0: There, look, there's great depth there. You know, even you look at further down, like Ross Maloney's having a great season. You know, I don't know if he'll get in, but, uh, you know, he's, he's playing very well. You'd be comfortable with him coming in. Uh, Tom Stewart's come in, I think, as well. It'd be a great experience for him. He's playing great rugby up in Ulster. So, um, yeah, like, you go down the depth chart, and, and we're in rude we're in health, I think. Uh I still think it'll be tighter this weekend. I just feel like there is a, you know, the team has been playing brilliantly well, um, but you'd have to expect some kind of reaction from that England team. And I think if you were focusing on Ireland, I've talked about it a lot with Leinster too. They play reasonably similarly, you know, in terms of the the style of rugby and the pace of play. Um, You know, I think the first thing you'd be thinking of if you're playing Ireland is let's slow the game down completely, like, you know, maul everything. Uh, I wouldn't be trying to, you know, play a fast-paced game with them. I'd be controlling the pace. I'd be slowing it down. I'd be putting the ball in touch. Um, and I think uh, that England pack will be really hurting. They got completely bullied by that French pack at every single facet of the game. Uh, bar maybe did a few good scrums in fairness to them but around the rook you know, you, they, you have to expect them to bounce back there. Um, and a lot of what Ireland do is based on quick rook ball. So if they can stifle them there this game gets a little bit tetchy, a little bit nervous in the Irish ranks no matter how well uh, they're prepared they are mentally. Um, as you say, a few injuries that, that will hurt them like Gary Ringrose is, is our most natural 13. He will. Doesn't look like he's going to be back. Um, so that will hurt the team I think a little bit um, and you know you'd, you'd still miss someone it looks like Sheehan's going to be back but whether Keller is or not we don't know um, and then Doris is he going to get back in we hope so but we don't know and I think those are still some brilliant players and that will have a little bit of an impact on the team I think so yeah look it'll be difficult but I think there's still enough firepower within this Irish team and belief to get them over the line but I, I have to say I, I do think it has to be tighter I just, I just can't see us I can't see he's completely blowing them away this weekend. Even as
1: bad, like, yeah, that was the worst England performance I have ever seen. Probably even worse than when they went to Croke Park and got absolutely paced They were just like, at every facet of the game, they were absolutely atrocious. I and, think,
0: well, it, particularly know. at home, will that's the bit that for me that was the key part about you know because I agree with you. It was the worst I've ever seen them, but particularly at home, I've never seen an England team blown away and took them like that. Mm. So you look, the the you, you, the point I make is that I think there's still enough good players in that English team. To expect, you know, a, a big. A, I think a like Manu back. To a
1: lag, could be starting at the weekend. As well, well,
0: I think he's kind of a key component for them. Like I thought they kind of got bullied in the centre. I thought if it's uh, the key guy, interesting to hear Brian O'Driscoll talking about. I think on his Twitter, he said he thought um, that Dante was kind of a key component, of that that physicality that England couldn't really deal with. That he was uh, unbelievable. He was yeah. brilliant, and England. Look, he, the amount of poaching that he did on the ground. Um, you know, whether Toalagi would have been able to have an impact on that or stop that, I just thought the England pack were just too slow to it all day. And, and they were, their their rook accuracy was so, so poor. And recognition of when there was going to be an opportunity or a sniff for the opposition to get in and post the ball, they were way off. So if I was England coach this week, that would be number one priority for me alongside the defense. And if you can be stingy defensively, if you can get rook ball and, can, and hold onto the ball, if you can be more physical in that respect, slow up the opposition ball, they're kind of three things that if you do well, all of a sudden you're a pretty difficult team to beat. Uh, I, and I think England will be difficult to beat this weekend i I think we I'll, I'll expect a reaction from them uh, I think we might still have too much for them I think the weight of the occasion might weigh in us for for a bit but I think it'll be still too much there will be the Ireland team will want this one I think too much to let England bounce back and beat them here so that's what I'm hoping happens I think it'll be tighter than what everyone else is expecting um but expect expect an arm wrestle well, it's set to be an absolute cracker at the
1: Aviva Stadium this Saturday, and now we're going to focus on Ireland's mental preparation ahead of that Grand Slam decider against England, and we're delighted to welcome Enna McNulty in the studio, former IRFU performance coach, and who also has a new book out, Commit to Lead, where he covers a whole host of topics around leadership and performance. And uh, the game on Sunday, Ireland versus Scotland, to talk about dealing with adversity, it's Andy Farrell's kind of favourite buzzword, and I know people, a lot, of, a lot of people made the joke, dealing with too much adversity, maybe at the weekend, but... What did you make of that from you being around teams, you know, being around the Ireland team previously, you know, the amount of injuries they had and persevering and coming out on top?
2: They did it brilliantly. I thought that their adversity quotient was first class. I thought the way that Josh van der Flaher handled line out time was brilliant. I thought the way they all handled the front row scenario collectively was class. Interestingly, sex those comments after the game about the way Paulie and Andy at half-time managed the scenario very well. And Lukey knows from being in there in those change rooms, what you want is cool hands, and maybe more importantly than cool hands, experienced hands, who are able to say, listen, this is what we're going to do at scrum time, this is what we're going to do at line-out time. So I thought it was just sheer class.
1: Because if you look at 2015, you know, it's talked about a lot, there was a lot of injuries in the World Cup, the team obviously... Didn't deal with we it. We didn't
0: was. all fall apart, Will.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Famously, he put in a good performance off the bench. But uh, that's something he that was talking about a lot. I know it's yeah. not apples and apples. There is differences, obviously. But mm. to, to lose that many players, and as Hendy said, guys playing different positions, and to be on the rack on, on the road in a hostile environment. Mm. And, and, you know, a, a lot talked about at halftime, how calm they were and how cool they were. It, it's an impressive mental fee as well as what they did in the pitch
0: yeah no it was i was i was unbelievably impressed with, with how they dealt with that and i think um you know uh, adaptability is a word that's been thrown in irish rugby a lot as enda will i'm sure allude to uh, a little bit later on he was uh, obviously uh, you know very important in in kind of introducing that concept and and getting people comfortable with you know uh, i suppose thinking about that and making it a priority because things do change uh, what i would say though is and interestingly enough I think in that front row, if you if you think about the Keane Healy scenario, whereby uh, they did designate him as a third hooker, so that because because if they hadn't done that, we would have had to have gone into fourteen men, which I think would have probably proved to be too too much of an uphill task for us at that stage. So there was a there was a part of preparation to this too, alongside obviously you know implementing that and believing in that mentality of being adaptable in the scenario. So I thought they, they kind of combined those two things very well, Will, and I think it, what really, what it tells me is that. They're very well prepared as a coaching staff. They've thought through lots of the scenarios, and I think that is something that we probably haven't spoken about as much. Even though, of course, it was brilliant to see how well they they um, they did deal with the adversity in the weekend. So, uh, kudos to them. We're all, I think, so pleased with how they performed, and we just hope now uh, they can go on and they don't have as many hiccups this weekend uh, against the English guys.
1: Yeah, obviously, you know, both of you have been involved in Grand Slam setups in the past, so you know the unique pressures facing it. But what role will the mental preparation, you know, take this weekend? Is it kind of kind of going on all the time in the background? Will there be set sessions individually with players? Is it more of a collective? Like from your perspective, how will that be managed? To well, think? Luke
2: would know it. I'd say a hundred times more than me. I think there's nobody knows it as well as the players. I always used that use that phrase back in Leinster back in the day, and the guys would laugh about me and Redley. So, I used to use a phrase from Phil Jackson in Chicago Bulls, and he'd say. Nobody knows the Bulls as well as the one that's in the bull ring fighting the Bulls. So the players know it better than any expert on the outside. And the reason that Andy Farrell is such a great coach and such a great, let's say, mentor, and same with Paul O'Connell, is they've been in that bull ring many, many times. So the players know it a hundred times more than anybody on the outside. No matter what I thought I knew about it, I didn't understand as well as these guys. And I think you have to be humble to realise that. You actually sit down with the players and tell to ask them what do you think you're going to face at the weekend? What do you think the biggest challenges are? And I would sit and I would ask Lukey, sometimes informally, and he would say, well, man, I think at the weekend we're going to face into a challenge we haven't thought about before. And I would actually use that information to go back to Joe or go back to Michael Check and say, actually, I heard something really interesting from Luke Fitzgerald. He said that one of the things we need to be aware of this weekend is X, Y, R, Z, and I'll be honest, it's something I never would have thought of. It's something that none of my expertise or experience as a Gaelic footballer ever would have prepared me for. So the first thing I would say, well, very respectfully was I knew nothing like what the players knew about that cauldron, about the Coliseum, about the challenge they faced.
1: Even what Enda said there, about the one-on-ones. Did you find it was better to have one-on-one, you know, into your mental prep, or did you like it when I don't know, was it was addressed team-wide and you were all there
0: at the same time? Like, it, or, or I think it's very important to do both. Will I? I, I felt like um, you know, there's there can be a. I think probably now there's there's been a mindset change. I think in Irish rugby, and I think they realised the importance of it. But there was probably a period before where. There was, uh, there would have been a component there uh, of of the player group who probably would have been resistant to it, and that they probably would have felt like actions always speak louder than words, and of course they do. But I always think, you know, I'd rather have, I'd rather be going into a battle with a plan. Uh, and I think, you know, within a group, I think it's very important to, to understand your role and what you're delivering and what you're trying to achieve. And uh, the perfect example of it on the weekend, I think, is say Johnny Sexton going out. Of course the team goals will always supersede. Um, you know he obviously has this record that's kind of hanging around in the background that he's obviously you know I'm sure it'll be a massive achievement for him and I'm sure it will be a personal goal for him when he started out but I think the team you know the, the team the, the, you have to realize where you fit into there and what's more important and yes the personal goal is important and you want to achieve that and do everything you can to do that. But you have to understand that obviously it's more important that they beat Scotland first of all. I think he spoke brilliantly on that le- during the week. He dealt with that question very well, and and I actually think he really believes that too.
1: I've, yeah, I want to ask about you about this because you mentioned the personal goal that Johnny Sexton was maybe pushing to the side. Because I thought before that game, an interesting thing I thought, and I turned to my girlfriend, I said, I don't really agree with this, and she thought I was being a bit bit of a prick because it was Stuart Hogg's 100 cap. He had a big thing before the game, bringing out his children, the family, and I just thought Triple Crown was at stake, and uh, you know there was. The performance is that the best way to get your best performance is having such a big that. emotional I, thing before the game i agree with
2: that whenever i saw that my gut instinct told me that was the wrong time it, it told me it was sending the wrong message that there was other priorities here other than the test game so i was absolutely adamant because i actually said to my father who's been coaching and working in psychology his whole life wrong decision wrong time wrong approach Do everything you want after the match. Mm. Bring kids in, bring family in, and hopefully this will be a very special weekend for Jonathan Sexton. However, I thought that was absolutely the wrong time, absolutely the wrong approach, because even the most mentally tough athlete in the world, how can you, uh, before a match, take your three beautiful kids onto the pitch and remain emotionally in control? I I know I couldn't handle it. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be emotionally able to handle that.
1: Yeah, but from a player's perspective, like if the captain... Because so, so say this weekend, for instance, as a grand slam decider, if Johnny Sexton walked out before the game with his three children... He wouldn't. And,
2: yeah. He, well, it wouldn't happen. Because, Johnny, I, I bet you...
0: And look, I love it's your opinion. It's tricky, yeah. It, it, I think it's a tricky one. Like, I don't, don't do. want to bag the guy for having no, a nice no, I moment. Compl- family, I, but, sorry, I completely you know, get that side of it. I, I'm, I'm really torn on it because... 100 caps see 100 caps probably isn't what it was you know exactly uh, you know 16 f- or 20 years ago caps. there was like there was philippe selah yeah. george Gregan. but these guys are playing for 10 or 15 years now hog has been probably there a long time too um and i'm torn because it is a very special thing um but maybe bringing on the kids and all that uh, maybe you just let him run out in his own first and, and and that's probably enough um yeah i don't know i probably i probably there's, pro- there's probably somewhere in the middle ground there where you go okay that's still a hundred games for your country in a pretty warrior-like sport. Um, you know, we let you run out in front, but everyone else comes out pretty quickly well, so after. Was Ringer
2: R- Ringer ran out in front on his own.
0: Yeah. So I, I thought that that was just
2: about right. I agree with Luke that it yeah. should be special, but not over the top. I thought it was yeah. definitely. It was over a job,
1: presentation. it right. was before the game. And was there? Yeah. Well, well that, that sorry, doesn't no, make no, sense no, to no, me. Yeah, it, 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 I suppose the kid it, with the match ball and everything. I just thought it was. A, I just thought it. You know, if you're talking about high performance mentality and stuff like that, he got off
0: to a great start in the game. Although he had a few, he got away with a few possible yellow cars yeah. but he actually did get off to a great start in the game so maybe look it maybe it didn't but at the same time it's an emotionally charged day anyway i think there was a huge amount riding on it for for the team and um, it's hard to know what to do there i'm not sure how much you know input the player would have in that that that's that's maybe one thing i would say to that it's probably maybe a maybe it just doesn't happen that often it's such yeah. a it's such a rare thing in in, in international rugby to get well, still a, a, a triple crown
1: for scotland's a lot more rare than someone getting 100 caps
0: it is i'm yeah. I, as i said i'm kind of torn on that one it's an interesting mm-hmm. it's an interesting point to make and it's interesting to both of you guys who would be because will as well is very interested i think in this part of the game the kind of mental aspects as well quite clear and i think um interesting that both of you spotted that i i actually never really i just kind of brushed it i was kind of focused on I was, I was, looking at it, I was int- yeah. listening to other things, it wasn't really a big deal for me. I suppose what was interesting for me, I kind of read about it during the week, so I was kind of saying, okay, well that's just what they do for these things now. So that's I maybe brushed it, but maybe that was something that that did yeah. impact the team, or maybe something impacted him. I didn't think it did at the start of the game, to be honest. And hmm. maybe
2: on your point there, Luke, is that it probably wasn't the player's decision, and I think that's exactly the point. Mm. I don't think that would happen now in Ireland camp. I think that the backroom staff and Luke knows a lot of those brilliant people, mm. like the Michael Kearneys yeah, 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 and the yeah, Jericho yeah, comedies. Yeah. I would be absolutely shocked if that happened in the current Ireland uh, rugby setup, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'll be shocked if that would have happened in the last ten years either. Because mm. the because I remember very clearly the choreography that was done around Bran O'Driscoll's last game in the Aviva. Ah, well, he did
0: have a hundred foot balloon, but it was after the <laughs> game. <laughs> after we the still game. have to slag him about that, yeah. But what was your last? What was <laughs> <it longer? laughs> I was out in uh, Santry Hospital. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. um, no money mess. No, N- we, not we everybody gets to choose. Look in terms. No, of but that's that sport, isn't it? Jay, like, yeah. Like I think, look, right. he you have to recognise some of these achievements some of these great players have given to the game and all the... I mean, someone like him, you know, he was a hero for so many of us growing Mm -hmm. up and he kind of, I think... Along with, say, the likes of Paul O'Connell, Ronald O'Gara, these guys were were the kind of catalyst for, I think, this current generation, you know. So I'd say uh, sometimes you do have to recognise these things after the game. After the game. <laughs> I think we're all on the same page, <laughs> yeah. After drive, the game. <laughs> yeah, drive, drive the blimp in uh, after the game, you know. But I, look, I think it is important. And the mental side of the game, like, I think there is something... It, it is something Scotland do have to think about. Because if you think about that game on the weekend and all the adversity that Ireland had to deal with, Scotland were in a fantastic position and they just had these moments of just absolute madness at different points in the game. And their basics let them down after having got a brilliant start and putting Ireland in a position through physicality, through a bit of luck as well. um, Where Ireland had lots of players who were still on the pitch, who hadn't played much rugby. They had used a lot of their bench in a very, very quick and fast paced game. But Scotland were not able to capitalize on that and keep the pressure on. And Ireland, it, you know, grew in those moments in the game where there was adversity and Scotland didn't. And I think there's, there is something in the mental side for them that I do think they'll have to revisit after that weekend because, to my mind, once Ireland got that, that first score in the second half they capitulated. There was some crazy forward passes, some mad decisions defensively. You know, they really let themselves down. And and I think they're a better team than what they show. But mentally, if you're not at the races in the big days against the big teams, they will punish you. And that's what Ireland did. Um, yeah.
1: And when you were working with Ireland, did you have a role on, on the match day itself? Obviously, in the build-up, there's lots to be done to get the team mentally right. But would you be like looking at a game unfold and picking up things that maybe you could... Give to the coaching staff at halftime, or, or like what? What's kind of the on, or kind of the game day role? Do you think of, of a performance coach or a mental skills coach?
2: I think the, the honest answer is very little. It's up to the players, it's up to the leaders, it's up to the coaches. It's it's the Joe Schmitz, it's the Andy Farrells, it's the Paul O'Connells, it's the Greg Fikes at scrum time, and so on. Uh, it's very little. However, some of the days, believe it or not, you're called in the middle of the night, and you get a call from the team doctor to say this player isn't sleeping, highly anxious we need to step in quickly and then, as Lukey would know my lifestyle since I played with Armagh would always be very strong so a night before the match I'd never be drinking I'd always be you know getting up in the morning and training if I'm with the team obviously either travelling or at home and one particular night I got a phone call at say 4 in the morning I was actually in my home in Armagh uh, and I was in the car I was down in the Shelburne Hotel i say within 55 minutes now by the time I got down the player was okay thank God he was, it was asleep no <laughs> issue the player was, was sleeping it was no issue so on match day it? you the chopper
0: down did 55 minutes <laughs> <laughs> from our mind, you get pretty quick turn on the turbo so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. as you know with Joe you better get there nice and quick yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: so on match day to answer the question very little however you're learning a lot mm. you're learning a lot to bring in and have the conversation with a Luke Fitzgerald on the Monday night you're saying I was unbelievably impressed Luke how you dealt with the warm up remember again when Luke Fitzgerald was playing as an Irish international, the National he was 18 and a half 19 years of age so you're able to sit down in the following week and say I watch you in the warm up I watch you in the change rooms I watch you at halftime I was incredibly impressed with how composed you were so you're picking up a lot of data uh, and by data I don't mean how many carries, how many tackles how many rocks, uh, how many max metres after contact I do mean emotional data mental data. Uh, that mistake he made in the first half in Crow Park, Luke, the way he uh, reflected on that and bounced back was incredible. So I'm, I'm using Luke as the example mm. here because it's, it's a pretty good example and, and I will really strongly call him out because I met Luke Fitzgerald as an 18-year-old kid when his father did his touch base and he said, and, uh, would you mind sitting down with my son? I think he's a lot of potential. Six months later he's playing for Ireland. Uh, his openness, his curiosity, his growth mindset was exceptional. I always say that, and I'm not going to over bring him up, but I'm going to be really straight about that. It was exceptional. Well, now, bring the to the present day, Josh van der Flyer. similarly incredible humility, incredible openness about this side of his game, incredible consistency in his mental preparation, just exceptional to work with. Yeah.
1: It's funny you're talking about the guys who were really receptive to it, but it, there must be players who don't want to engage with it or don't think it's useful, or, or do you have to? Is, is it In 2023, is it almost like you, you kind of simply must engage with the mental side of the game? You must sit down and talk to Anna McNulty or Gary Keegan, as it is now, like what... what? Because Luke touched on earlier, there were probably some veteran players at the start who didn't agree with it, but what's that dynamic like?
0: I'll pass the ball to Luke on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there is, do it, you know what, because I, I was I was going to ask you, I had in my mind to ask you about, you know, there's obviously your kind of big pillars of, you know, your your mental preparation, your goal setting, and, and different things like that. Um, But there's probably a, a tailored approach you have to take to different people, of course. And look, I suppose my thoughts on it were that I felt like it's such a key component of being a top sports person because, one thing that's very evident to you when you come in as a young person into a setup like say that Lenser setup, and you're training with Brian Driscoll or Dennis Hickey or guys who are brilliant athletes. You're kind of saying, mm, "Well, look, I might be able to, I might be better than with some things, but generally speaking, most of the athletes are pretty similar at the top level. What really does differentiate someone like Brian O'Driscoll was not really his physical prowess like he's a you know reasonably small enough guy 510 whatever 511 i'll give him 511 on the air but <laughs> something like that but it really what, what differentiates someone like brian driscoll is those calmness in the big moments the toughness in the big moments it was it was the mental side of the game so i always felt like you were giving up an edge of someone by not really exploring that avenue and maximizing your potential up there as well as everything else you're trying like your skills and your and your fitness and that so i that was my thoughts on it other people probably don't like to some people don't like to head into there because I'm not sure they want to, you know, if things are going well for you, I think, and it would be definitely more able to speak to, to this, but I would say some people don't want to revisit, don't want to visit that area in case they stumble on, on something they don't like or they upset things because they might be in a good vein, you know, a rich vein of form. And oftentimes I would say a trigger for those people are, Oh, things are not going well. And then they kind of go, okay, well, now actually I do, I've figured out, well, actually I, I think I need someone to help me out with this. And is there, I presume there's a, a large cohort in probably both camps, is there? I, I love that
2: uh, conversation. It's almost like intellectual rugby we're talking about. What I feel very strongly about is I'd say now for nearly 15 years of working with elite professional athletes at that level uh, in rugby, a lot of the conversations actually weren't on the mental side of the game. So it's a bit of a fallacy that all the one-on-ones would have been about the mental side of the game. In every one-on-one I think I ever had with either a Leinster or an Ireland player or a Lions player or a Munster player uh, for more than 15 years, we'd actually look at the whole frame. We'd sit down with, let's say, even a Josh van Flyer and say, OK, talk me through your physical uh, preparation over the next week before the All Blacks game when are you tapering, how many sets are you going to do? Because of my own expertise and experience in Gaelic football and coaching and strength and conditioning and sports science and understanding all those pillars. And you are my
0: lads pretty much played rugby anyway, didn't you? <laughs> 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 we, weren't,
2: hey, we weren't too <laughs> deft. I love it. I'll get back at you we're later a old bunch, yeah. there, so, It does really give <laughs> you great
0: insight into it, though. Do you know what I mean? The physical side of the game, like, you guys were in such good shape. You were you'd, ahead of your time, that team, you, weren't you? You'd understand all the pillars.
2: So yeah. you'd understand about their physical prep, their technical, tactical then the mental, emotional prep. So you'd only deal with that when all the other aspects of the frame were dealt with. And then you'd say, what about the media for the next week? How are we going to handle the media? Then you go into social media. When are we locking off the social media? Then you go into, is there anything you're concerned about? Yeah, it's, some, it's funny you say that to me. And I'm unbelievably concerned about uh, you know, my next contract. Okay, tell me more. What do you mean? Well, I'm not too happy the contract wasn't signed last week and that we need to deal with that. So sometimes the players are coming two nights before a Six Nations decider to say, I'm a bit worried about contract. Now, obviously, I'm not going to uh, divulge which player I'm talking about there, but that was regular. And, and I can say to you that every single year that was happening about 10 times. And uh, we've got a big contract on the table. Me and my dad or me and my agent or me and my wife are really concerned. We need to deal with this now and uh, rather than can I be composed enough in the first 60 seconds? So, a lot of my family and friends would send me in. There are all the conversations about composure when you're dealing with the athlete, you know, in one on one. A lot of the times it was about what the hell am I going to do about this story that was in the media about me? What do you advise we talk about in terms of my contract, and the next stage of my career, and this injury? I'm I'm a bit worried about this injury. I don't know if this shoulder is going to stick, and I can relate to that, because my own shoulder was dislocated, and it still was never operated on, and I still feel the fragility of that. So having dealt with a lot of those scenarios as an amateur, Foot Butter, who we always had the mentality that we need even more professional than the professionals. And the reason we said that was because we were training 13 times a week, but yet I had to still set a company up. I had to still find a way to have my own income and be able to sit down with Luke Fitzgerald with fresh eyes, even though, to be honest, I was bloody exhausted because I'd done a 16 hour day and yet meet Luke at 8 o'clock at night in Ranelagh in Coffee Society and hope to hell that he didn't look at me and go that man's bloody exhausted but let's be clear I was exhausted and yet I was trying to bring well it wasn't harder to bring freshness the Luke because he had incredible enthusiasm
1: What's your perspective on the I suppose the apparent difference in the setups between Andy Friar's how he's running things now is the head man and what it was like under, under Joe Schmidt there seems to be from players talking in the recent weeks through the Six Nations that they felt it was quite stifling then and it's a little more freer or more open now and, the, and you know I don't that's know like being
2: in the front row ask me that question well that's that's <laughs> like two front rows uh, obviously uh, let's say going in for a really bad a really really tough scrum I actually love that question Well, to be honest because I highly respect both leaders And not only do I highly respect both men and both leaders, I actually respect both leaders' leadership style. And who am I to judge which leadership style is better? I wouldn't be arrogant enough to do that. What I would say is from a lifelong of coaching leaders across all performance crucibles business, one of the ladies that we coach at the moment or work with a little bit, she's the global CEO of Goal at uh, the moment she's in Turkey, as we speak. And imagine what it's like to lead over there if we're talking about adaptability, real adaptability. That mm. lady lost 30 of her team in Turkey and uh, Syria in the last couple of weeks in that amazingly mm. adverse uh, earthquake. So when we're talking about adaptability, I always look at scale of difficulty and adaptability. That lady and her organisation are dealing with that. Mm. So come back to your question specifically, Well. Will. Joe's leadership style and Andy's leadership style are very contrasting. So is Declan Kidney, so is Michael Checkers, so is Enda McNulty, so is Luke Fitzgerald's, right? But what I respect is, and what I know from my leadership experience in all walks of life, it's the right le- leadership style at the right time for the right environment. So if Joe Schmidt was here in another four years, would that be the right time? Maybe it would be the right time again. So who am I to say which is a better style? Clearly at this time, the Irish rugby environment and players, they're thriving, which is absolutely brilliant to see. And I would call out Gary Keegan and everybody in the environment and what they're doing at the moment. I think it's brilliant. But I wouldn't underestimate what Joe did, and I actually wouldn't underestimate what Dekhi did, because I watched Luke Fitzgerald and a brilliant Irish team under in winning bloody Six Nations, and that's not, and a Grand Slam,
0: that's not who be sniffed at. No, I think so, I, and it's funny, because you probably hear, you're probably sick of me defending Joe Schmidt all the time, but I, I just felt he was...
1: Well, I don't know if he needs to be defended, necessarily, like... In, his no. record speaks for itself, yeah. if, you,
0: if you ask me honestly, like the yeah. World Cup, I think 2015 particularly... Uh, was I just, I think that was really, really difficult. That was a really, that was a really unlucky to lose. Like, it'd be like losing, even if you think about the weekend, like. It'd be like losing five year of your best players out of the match, and it really they, was. Did five they year, not do that at the weekend? I don't think they you did. Well, James Kane Ryan, Doris James tournament. no, but hang on, James Ryan's calling your lineouts. He stayed on the pitch that's and was absolutely C- in integral. The best in the world. Yeah, no, yeah, that's fine. But they didn't lose, say, a uh, say that the back row. No, Sean O'Brien. No, uh, no, Pete O'Mahony. No, Johnny Sexton. Like Johnny Sexton stays on the pitch during that period for for quite a long period of that game, up to seventy minutes that's pretty important to have him there to, to steer you through like, like you talk about how calm the team was I mean how calm was, that guy has seen everything the game can throw at you at this stage so like you, you got to be I think you, you never want to make excuses and I'm sure Joe never would want to make excuses either but I, I have to say that was absolutely he was blown apart the week of the game there like with the five guys that he lost out in, in, in terms of that Argentina match that was a really difficult one to take and I think um you know, I think that was more difficult even than the one the weekend. perhaps with the exception of the line-out. I mean, the scrum nearly went well with Keane on there, to be honest with you, but the line-out was very, very impressive and how they dealt with that was, was was brilliant. But other than that, I think you'd have to give Joe a little bit of leeway on that and his his performances in the Six Nations, the consistency there, the consistency with Leinster. I mean, what a coach he is. Like, I, think, I still think... The, the worst thing that could happen is him taking the reins over at, at, in, in the New Zealand team. I think he is just perfect for the situation they're in at the moment. I think he'd be the guy. But they've obviously, you know, he's obviously lurking around in the background. But I think if he got the reins it'd be the worst thing for everyone else because I think he'd sort them out.
1: What about Enda's point about like the timing issue like that if Andy Farrell comes in say after Declan Kidney instead of Joe Schmidt that it doesn't it necessarily look like it does now that like that maybe Joe Schmidt was needed at the time and that style of leadership and that kind of attention to detail and then Andy Farrell is able to kind of then go and There's build. no way
0: that you don't build on what's yeah. there before you. You know what I mean? And, and I have to say I think um, you know Andy it's great that they had that little bit of continuity because I would say there's no way someone like Andy Farris not looking at what Joe's doing and saying okay well he's the boss we're going to do what he wants now but there's no way he's not looking at that as an analytical guy as a rugby guy going "Mm, I might do that differently and clearly that's what he has done and it's really flourished and I think it's I think that probably did help them in the end Oftentimes, you worry about there being that continuity and you say "Well, well will you get enough change I think he he was he must have been very analytical when he was there and he's been able to pick the things where he felt do you know what I grow that there or I change this here Um, and and I think he's done a brilliant job but I I think the timing thing is very very important Will but one thing you were both in the camp and one thing the
1: players have said consistently in the Andy Farrell era is how much more they enjoy it though as in just going in and being there
0: (laughs) I loved loved going in with Joe and I I, I promise you I did I, I just felt like I like felt Andrew like Porter, every do time he, he, get there. he was
1: counting the speed bumps going into Carton House because he was so like anxious about going into that environment. Well, I, I
0: wasn't... Sorry, I, I never felt that way with Joe. I always felt like he was... I always felt like he, he, he had an advantage on the touchline when he was there. He always had something during the week where you were going, Jesus, like, that guy... No one has watched more footage in the world than that guy uh, coming into this weekend. I couldn't feel like... I, I, there's no way that... Say, for example, versus Gregor Townsend, and of course, I'm not sure about Gregor Townsend, but I have to say we usually get the better of them. And I think that, I always felt like coming into that, that he would have watched more videos than Gregor Townsend, that he would have figured something out. And you look at even... even but could Ireland that have been team, better
1: balanced with no, kind of a more so. enjoyable well, environment? Like, look like, at the results. Look no one's, the results. one's saying he wasn't a great rugby coach and he knew his rugby inside out, but could that have been potentially better balanced with a loosening of the but then you range? Get, like,
0: if you think about the personality wheel, do you lose out on the technical stuff? Uh, that you get with Joe if he gives up a bit of that if he's not looking at everything you're doing all the time and that's part of what Joe is Joe is that guy Joe is the details guy Joe is one of those guys that getting so much preparation that you know he, like you have contingency plans for contingency plans do you know what I mean he's one of those guys and do you get the success with him in terms of picking teams apart think of all think of the set plays that Ireland have used against France that's a Joe move that's a variation off of Joe move. Like, people are still picking up ideas from what he's done in the past. So mm-hmm. he has had a massive impact on, on this team, make no mistake about it. And the general out there, Johnny Sexton, would be his number one commander. You know what I mean? He is the lieutenant there. There's no way he has not brought in all those learnings from Joe into this team. And I think you see a lot of what he's probably built uh, in this Irish team with a few flourishes from Andy Farrell. Andy Farrell's is clever enough to know that there's very strong foundations built on fr- from Joe's uh, ear in there. We're going on and on here. We think we're... we're, we're no, but I, I want to well, we get an perspective no, on this. I love that. Well,
2: actually, I respect both of your views. The reality is if you polled 50 players now in Ireland camp versus 50 players five years ago, you get loads of different perspectives. I know that it was a huge privilege to be part of a backroom staff under Joe. I also am cognizant that Andy Farrell was in that coaching ticket under Joe as well. So we all have to take responsibility for what happened in Japan, and we all have to take responsibility for what happened, obviously, at the World Cup in 2015. So not only Joe, isn't that what leadership's all about? You know, it's not one person's ownership. It's the collective, the players, the backroom staff, the leadership group, the coaches. So having... Being in the backroom staff under Andy Farrell, what I know for sure is, is he great at empowering people? Yes. Is he fun and crack? Absolutely. Is he a prolific communicator? He's an incredible communicator, but so is Joe. Oh. Is he amazing on defence? Him and Les Kiss watching both of them run defensive sessions in Ireland camp was like being at Harvard, sitting in business school. It was incredible. Both of them. Would I say that Les Kiss was phenomenal and Luke can give better respect than me and Andy Farrell was incredible and watching both of them do defensive sessions. It was a lifelong education in coaching, in communication, in motivation and both of them would be able to add the technical, the tactical, uh, the physical, the mental mm. and I wouldn't underestimate all the coaches in the mental It wasn't Andy McGoldy's job to get the team right mentally. It was the entire coaching staff. Jason Cowman, I call him Mm -hmm. out, phenomenally good at getting the players physically ready. But I always said to Jason, Jason, you're more important in the mental preparation of the team than I'll ever be and we used to collaborate with each other
0: the angriest happy man you've ever met isn't he (laughs) (laughs) jason he's one of the greats he was the lens center the conditioning coach for years and years brilliant brilliant guy like so creative brilliant at coming up with new ideas isn't he He, as you say he actually plays a really important part in in the week coming up to it but you never want to cross Jason, you? <laughs> never, <J-O>, never crossed <laughs> J.O. Sadly, I did a few times. But there is some brilliant people in the setup that you don't always hear. And it's interesting to hear your perspective on that, that you never felt that it was all down to you, you know. Uh, well, do you know what I would love to get some perspective on, Enda, is we talked about 2019, and it's hard, obviously, I'm sure there's obviously a, a tough enough uh, period for that coaching staff and for the player group, of course. But just from the, you know, the report that came out afterwards and they talked about the the kind of mental kind of preparation for them and they felt that they weren't oh, i don't know i can't remember the exact wording of it but they felt like that was an area where um they let themselves down Um, uh, you know how did you t- how did you deal with that i mean you're obviously talking to guys all the time about dealing with adversity dealing with bad feedback all these kind of things were like were you able to take your own advice on that one because that one must have been it must have been a tough period for you was it no, no, it wasn't, and I tell you why. Because I knew the team weren't well enough
2: or mentally prepared. Mm. So it was easy. So when you know something isn't good enough, and you actually strongly communicate that long before the tournament. All oh, right, okay, I didn't know that. And you say, and you sit down and say that if you want to be the most mentally tough team in the world, if you want to have a huge differentiator in that, or a point of difference at not only, you know, pool stages, quarter-final, semi-final, final... This is what I believe after 25 years of spent my whole life on leadership, on mental toughness, on adversity quotient, this is what has to be put in place. So the reality is that because of the evolution in rugby and in all other sports, at some stages they don't really prioritise the mental and the leadership part of the preparation. If I'm really honest and, and I'm going to be very critical of me here and nobody else, it's not good enough to articulate that and communicate that. Because that would be an ego trip to say, well, I said that three years before the World Cup. I said it two years before. I said it one year before. It's very easy to say it afterwards. What do they call that Monday morning quarterbacking? I said it long before it. Now, the reality is that because we had such a bad performance in the Six Nations and in the summer uh, tests before we went away, the, you know, those mm-hmm. warm-up tests, sorry, uh, the reality was that there was a much bigger focus on getting the team back to form, getting the team back physically fit, getting some of the players who have been out injured hoping they be back in, for example, Joey Carberry. Mm. So, Everything that I had said about the mental prep, to answer your question, Luke, and everything I said about the leadership prep and everything I said about, let's call it the adversity quotient, Joe did hear me, and, and senior, uh, let's say, staff did hear me, but the bigger priority was, and the, come on, hold on a second, we've got these fundamentals that have to be addressed now.
0: Uh, but, but that's that, I find that surprising, because I would have felt like... That group particularly, particularly Joe as well, would have felt like that was, the two were highly correlated, that kind of leadership, that belief, that stuff that you get from that mental preparation that someone like you would have been able to provide. Um,
2: in other words, I'm saying I I hold my hands up, and say that I failed because it's not good enough. I remember doing a case study in Harvard Business School about what happened with one of the space rocket disasters. Well, one of the engineers one of the engineers called out and said, "There's an issue with the O-ring," and everybody said, "Yeah, that's great, but the O-ring will be okay." And he kept saying, I think it was a Challenger space rocket." He said, "I'm telling you now that the O-ring will blow up if we don't deal with it." I was saying that, but I didn't communicate it clearly enough. I didn't emphasize it enough.
0: It's not good enough to say it. We have to influence. It's not what leaders do. And, and in fair, so so what what was the learning for you in that going forward? So if you were in the scenario again, like, do you, would you, do you have a way? Do you have, like, did you did you play it back in your mind and say, okay, I articulated that, but how would I do it better the next time? Like kind yes. of what you'd, you, you did. Of course, yeah, Luki. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I'm still doing it. Mm to be honest with you if there's any big failure we have in life I love to review that and learn from it and become a better leader and a better communicator and a better influencer so the good news is now if you're sitting down with a global CEO running an organisation with 100,000 people they ask you what have you learned from that and by the way if you say I've learned nothing it wasn't my problem it was all on there are a few that say but Where's the humility in that? Mm. Aren't the great leaders humble? Aren't the great leaders growth orientated? Aren't the great leaders able to show and evidence all their scars and how the scars make them even stronger?
0: You know that from your playing career. Oh, well, I don't think you'd be ever interested in, in, I would find it hard to listen to someone who hadn't been through something like that. Um, because you know the the life of well, an athlete, a CEO, whoever it is, whoever you're talking to, whoever is someone who's aspiring to get there, Journey in my mind is uh, very few people that have uh, you know that straight line upward trajectory to where they to, to their goals. So if I would be concerned if someone hadn't had a few scars along the way, because I would feel like they hadn't had the experience to actually be able to articulate how you get out of the situation and improve. So uh, that is interesting. Thanks for being so open about that. Yeah. I no, appreciate really that. because That must have been a, a tough, a tough period. You well, know, but it's good it to it see you got out. You know? But it's
2: isn't that like mm. a great boxing match? The tough periods make you stronger. Mm. I hope I'm a much stronger leader and man than I was four years ago. And if I'm not. Well then, what the hell use am I in a coaching environment around the world? So I hope I'm stronger. What I also say is it makes you reflect on what you don't know. Hmm. And it makes you reflect on where are your weaknesses. It makes you reflect on what you know for sure you need to significantly improve. I'd say I've grown more in the last three years since the Japanese experience than I arguably did in the last 20 years. Hmm. Now, why is that? Not only because of my rugby experience, but because I've traveled so much. The brilliant thing with rugby and and sport is that you know you've got so many games so many camps so many events so many coaching sessions training sessions the bad thing is you don't really get time to think Mm. what i've loved since japan is i've had a huge amount of time to reflect to think to travel all around the world to sit and think okay what were the mistakes i've made not only in my experience in sport but what about the mistakes i've made in life Mm. because What is it all about? Is it all about winning Grand Slams and Six Nations? Is it all about being the best version of a person you can become? And actually, one of the young Leinster and Ireland players said that to me uh, about two years ago. He came in and said, sat down for a leadership one-on-one, and he said, Enda, uh, I want to become a better human being. Now, this is one of the elite of the elite current players. I thought that was an amazing thing to say. So the humility, the ambition, and the understanding that he wanted to become a better human being, not just a better player. So I hope I've become a better human being since the Japanese experience, to answer your question, in a long way.
1: Hmm. Very interesting. What about the mental challenge for this World Cup then, Ireland going in as the world number one team? And I know they were the world number one technically going in the last time, but as you mentioned, a lot of results leading up to kind of paid to really the notion that they were. This time they can really go in believing they are the best in the world, that they have a good chance of actually winning a World Cup. Probably a very different mental challenge to maybe previous World Cups when maybe you know, maybe getting past the quarterfinal was the biggest thing. Now, it, if, if they don't win the World Cup, it'll probably be seen as, as a letdown. That's a very different mental challenge, I'd imagine.
2: So, I absolutely agree. I think that everybody involved in Ireland Rugby, the only thing to think about this weekend is this grand slam decider. And yeah, I'm, it, go, I'm going down the road just because we have <laughs> here. <I just laughs> know, really. but, and it's actually funny because back in the day, even in camp, when we heard anybody talking about the world cup and we had one more game to play in the six nations that'd be shut down immediately and normally that wouldn't be shut down by me but i might hear one player saying that even at lunch and i hope it's okay i wouldn't ever you know say which player said it but i would go to the coach and it say, there's a few themes that i'm picking up on here one of the themes that i'm hearing a little bit is that some of the players are with the summer tour there's a little bit of a theme coming through creeping through that maybe is a bit of complacency and as i know from playing in front of 85,000 people in Crow Park, Uh, when you hear one of your teammates a week before a very big All-Ireland Series game saying that we'll win this game by 12 points, and when you're driving back the road to Dublin going, oh my God, that is danger. It's danger territory. So dealing with complacency is a mega mental challenge. I cannot overstate that. And having suffered from that myself, being sent off in front of 85,000 people, because possibly it was not well enough mentally and emotionally prepared, it gave me one hell of a wake-up call. So to answer your question, well, this weekend, I think the scale of difficulty for this game, being roast on hot favourites, is big.
1: Yeah, so how do you deal with that as a player? Like Obviously, Ireland are going to be they're mega favorites. Like I think some bookies have paid out on the Grand Slam already. You know, give what happened <laughs> to England.
0: Couldn't get your bed in on time, Will. I think no. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Like I think we're we're oftentimes not. Um I was accustomed to that, I think, in Ireland, of of that kind of favourites tag, just because we're generally, you know, playing international sports particularly. But I'd say, anybody probably is good, you know, uh, insight into it as well, playing against a Kerry or a Dublin or whoever it is, you know, where there's kind of maybe, uh, maybe the the tradition in Kerry, but maybe the population in Dublin, you're kind of thinking, do you know what? Like, if we we do this, this is like, you know, and, and same with Ireland you know, it's generally you're the kind of underdog just based on the numbers or whatever it is, or historical uh, kind of achievements of different places. Um, so maybe we're more comfortable there. But I think uh, over the last number of years, I think Ireland and I think probably built a little bit on, it. this would probably sound terrible to other provinces, but I think the. the you can't lie about the numbers it's very obvious there's a huge component of the squad from Leinster Leinster have been favourites haven't always dealt with it unbelievably well in the last couple of years but they're generally favourites going into every year so I feel like there's a larger component of the squad are actually quite used to it now I don't think it's as big a burden on their shoulders anymore as it used to be I also feel like there's probably a way the team is playing um, and the way Leinster play uh, that I don't think they have another way to play. You know, I have a few concerns about that, Will, but we're not going to get into the technicals of the rugby part of it. But I think they only have one real way to play. And it's kind of pretty, uh, it's a fearless enough style. Um, and I think that does help engage the mind because they're playing a fairly, like a riskier style, I think, than, than probably we have traditionally played. Um, requires great skill, great composure and belief in the plan. Um, and I think all those big bedrocks are in there um, within the squad. So I feel like they're more accustomed and better used to playing and dealing with the pressure. Um, I still would be nervous. I think England's performance on the weekend, if, if, if I'd be worried if the Irish team weren't worried, put it that way, because that English team are not, they're not as bad as they were in the weekend. They had a really bad showing at home. They'd be really hurting. Like, that's really unusual in Twickenham as well. So, um, Enda talked about composure and worrying about someone talking, you know, that is something that they'll have to be razor, razor sharp on this week. Any talk of a big win or anything like that, they need to shut that down and get their minds focused on delivering on what they have been doing consistently over the last year. And I think um, for the first time ever, I think I- I'm, I- I'm confident that they will achieve it um, and deliver on their potential.
1: Well, I could easily go take this chat on for another hour. I'm enjoying it so much, but before we, we finish up with you, you want to tell us a bit about your book, like the, kind of the key message that you want people to take away from it if they read it?
0: Yeah, well, it's been
2: a brilliant chat. First of all, thanks for the opportunity. I'm admiring and listening lots to the podcast on a regular basis, so thanks for keeping me sane during lockdown. <laughs> uh, I went run a lot of times on mountains listening to your podcast, so thank you uh, so much for that. What, what I would say about the book Commit to Lead, it's actually a book about a lot of the stories I spoke about today. Uh, It's about leaders, it's about meeting Michael Cech in that first chat. It's about how I actually met Michael Cech and I probably wouldn't have met him without Luke Fitzgerald. It's about what I learned from the best leaders in Ireland environment, what we've learned from some of the best corporate leaders, uh, learning from people in non-for-profit or charitable organizations around the world. But most importantly, it's about inspiring leaders to unlock their true potential in life. I guess that's what's been my life work, not mental preparation but helping people unlock their true potential on all aspects of life, not just in the sports arena.
1: Well, then, thanks so much for joining us this week. We had an absolute pleasure chatting. I'd like to thank Luke as well. We'll be back tomorrow with a podcast talking about the Ireland team news to face England on Saturday. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening, and goodbye. The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast. Rate, review, and follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is an
1: Irish independent podcast.